0: Father, uh, we ask that you would grant your spirit here in this place to help us to understand and to, to hear, to focus us upon what your word has to say to us here and that uh, your spirit then would glorify your son Jesus by making us uh, more in his image, by, uh, by fixing our faith more and more firmly upon him in this time. We pray that you would forgive our sins. Pray that you would forgive the sins of the one preaching because you know how many they are. Overcome our weaknesses in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are finishing up a, a small mini-series that we've been doing as, after we transitioned out of the Sermon on the Mount and uh, to when where, wherever Daryl's gonna be taking us next here uh, but this, this little mini-series has been called Come to the Table, where we have been looking at a few passages that uh, address food or have the, a theme of food in them. Or you find this, this intersection of, of the, the themes there of, with food. Because food is a reality that, that the Bible speaks to because we are earthy people. We are created body and soul. And so what better image can God give us of our dependence? Than food, for we all need to eat. And I hope you've seen that every week here, this ends up bringing us right to the Lord's Supper, then, because that is the, the body and blood of, of the Lord Jesus Christ is our nourishment. It's the food which we, we uh, it's our sustenance, it's what we, what we need to survive from. And we've seen before, we looked at Isaiah 25 and we looked at the celebration that ought to happen then when we come to the Lord's table. Uh, we looked last week at John 21 and Jesus having breakfast with Peter as a point of reconciliation. And there now we, come to the, 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 we came to the table looking at the, the reconciliation that is brought about when we come to the table as, as Jesus extends himself then to us. And today now we're going to look at a different, a different aspect of that. We're going to be looking at fellowship, that we come to the table having fellowship and participation with Jesus and with one another here as well. And so the passage we're going to be looking at today is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 through 22. You can either find that in your worship folder, or you can open up your Bible if you have one. But before we read it, though, I want to set just a little bit of the context in 1 Corinthians 10, in this passage that we're going to read. Because there are a few verses here in our passage that we're, we're going to read that if you don't understand everything what's going on, it seems a little odd and, and striking. So Paul, as, he's, as he wrote 1 Corinthians, was was answering some of, of the, the questions that the Corinthian church had to him, or, or that they had for him, and he was answering them. And one of those questions was about a practice that was going on in the city of Corinth about meat being sacrificed to idols, and so the question they had: Well, is it okay to eat the meat? And Paul says earlier: Well, it depends upon your conscience, depends upon uh, the consciences of others, and it also depends on if you know uh, that it was that was that uh, this meat was sacrificed to an idol. Well, what is it okay to participate in the sacrifice? And Paul says no. And this section here is part of his larger answer that he has. And so what we're going to look at here is then the place of fellowship and the table, which kind of forms this central part, this this, uh, particular section right in the middle, particularly in verses 16 and 17. But let me go ahead and read the passage for us here and pay careful attention because this is the very word of God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry Amen. Many of us have, I'm sure, seen the following scenario. You're out to dinner and there's a table nearby seated with multiple people around it. And their personal interactions are at a minimum. No one's talking with one another. No one's engaged. No one really even seems to be enjoying themselves. Because they're all glued to their phones and they're paying very little attention to anyone else. In fact, they're paying very little attention even to their dinner except maybe to snap a photo and send it to their friend or to post post on social media. And sometimes this happens even in our own tables in our own homes. Family gatherings or meals with everyone at the table yet with very little real interaction or participation with one another apart from the screen that's in the hand. And we look at that, we shake our heads a little bit, we might chuckle, But I think that there's something much more disheartening and perhaps even tragic about that scenario. Why are they gathered together in the first place? When they're giving themselves over to the device and not the reason that they have come together for the people and for the dinner. The purpose in gathering together is to leave behind our individualism and to join ourselves then in community with one another. To take part in the presence of others by sharing ourselves at a place, at the table, around a meal where, where fellowship is most readily created. And that's because tables are intended to be places of fellowship. Sharing a table, either with food, drink, maybe even just a cup of coffee, represents commonality and fellowship. When we sit around a the table, there's an intent for us to, to share and to know. When you invite someone around your own ordinary table, it's to share what you have with them. It's to foster a relationship. People eat together because it's a sign of wanting to know them and to be known in turn. Tables are where hospitality is shown. Tables are where welcome is extended, where walls are broken down, where unity with one another is fostered. And that's no different than with, the, than with the table that Jesus prepares for us and brings us to. The heart of our passage this morning, verses sixteen and seventeen, is about the table or the meal of Christ and the participation that we have then when we share that with Him. Now, isn't it wonderful that He doesn't set up a drive-through or a takeout? He sets a table for us so that we will then take our seats take places around it with him to have fellowship with him, to have communion with him, and with those others who are seated around the table as well. So that everything that a table represents, union, fellowship, sharing, hospitality, all of these things happen also at Jesus' table. And he invites us to sit as he shares. So why does this passage then begin with this phrase, Flee from idolatry because an idol is anything that competes with our fellowship with Jesus. An idol is anything that competes with our fellowship with Jesus. It's something else that we worship instead of God. It represents an alternative allegiance or a willingness to enter into fellowship with a rival to him. Idols. Idols not physical idols, probably for most of us, but whatever our hearts are drawn to and whatever we want to put at the same level of God, these idols pull at our ties. They pull at our allegiances. They insist that they are just as important as God is in that particular moment. And we are often all too willing to oblige. And so that fellowship that we have with Jesus is interrupted by what we think then is equally pressing in the moment. It's just like being distracted by our cell phones at the table. Yet he sets the Lord's Supper, he sets and presents his table out for us again and again and again to strengthen our fellowship and our union with him. He consistently calls us back to take a seat and to share with him. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to know us. And then he in turn wants us to have fellowship with him and to know him. He reminds us over and over and over that he has given his body and his blood then to free us from our idolatrous desires and then to bring us into a union that is more satisfying than anything else. A union with the eternally triune God. And so we're going to look at a few aspects of the table of Christ from our passage this morning. And the first is, it is a fellowship table. It's a fellowship table. As I said, tables are places of relationship and of sharing, where fellowship is fostered, where people are known. It's the same at the Lord's table. Jesus sets a table for us to have participation and communion. As he sets out the elements for us, We know him better. We understand him then to be merciful and giving because the very meal that he sets out for us is his body and his blood that we see in the bread and the cup. When we look at his meal then, we know him to be gracious. We know him to be forgiving as his cross where his body and blood was given and shed for us was done and for the atonement of our sins. We know him to be kind as he invites his people back to have fellowship with him over and over again, week by week, despite our failures, despite our sinfulness, despite our repeat offenses. He isn't afraid to sit and to share fellowship with us. He isn't ashamed to identify and to sit with the weak and the lowly because this is who he invites every week to his table. This is who we are. See, there isn't only a knowing Jesus better as we come and sit at his table. It also means that we know ourselves better. If Jesus sits with the unworthy, then for me to come and to take a seat then at his table means I need to recognize my own unworthiness. But only after I do so there will I really come to Jesus' table and eat from him as I should. Only then will I come and eat with wonder, eat with humility, eat with thankfulness for what he set out. Thank God that Jesus eats with sinners. (laughs) similar to our own tables then, there is a very real fellowship, a very real participation that we have with him when we come to his table. In verse 16 here, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? See, when we eat the bread, when we drink from the cup, there is a sort of Spiritual participation that's happening there. There's a lot of mystery with that that goes on, and I don't want to get too far into it here. I only want to speak right now here insofar as what the Bible says. But there is, it says though, there is a participation in Christ that happens when we eat and when we drink from Him, to the point that there is a sharing or a union. In some mysterious way, we are spiritually united with Him as we eat. We share a deep, spiritual fellowship with him. Consider it in terms of food, right? When you eat something, you become united to it in a matter of speaking. That bite of of burger that you may have had, sushi, salad, whatever it is, it's become a part of you. It doesn't remain that bite of burger or that sushi, or that salad, but it's digested. It's broken down so that its nutrients and its substance then travels all throughout your body, and it provides nourishment and growth. I mean, quite literally, you are what you eat. And when we eat from Jesus, then, we're taking him into us. When we take the bread and the cup there, that's a symbol of that. And we become what we eat, then. His life becomes our life. His nourishment becomes our sustenance because our eating and our drinking is done as an act of faith we reach out and we partake of christ as a sign of our trust in him we need him as life we receive him then as he feeds us but it's also a sign that jesus is necessary for our growth food is necessary for physical growth just plain and simple we all know that it doesn't matter if it's the young child who's, who's eating and, and shooting up like a sprout. It doesn't matter if it's the adult who needs to eat to sustain muscle mass. If you don't eat, your growth will be stunted. If you don't eat, you will atrophy. Good food is vital for bodily health. And the same goes then for spiritual health. We need good food. And Jesus sets out the best food. Jesus sets out himself. John 6, Jesus talks about him being the bread of life. He is our bread. We need him to grow. We need him to bear fruit. We need him to maintain our spiritual health. And we get that as we eat from his table because we are eating from him at his table. We are We are being united to him. We are drawing all of our life, all of our sustenance, all of our spiritual well-being from him. Friends, if you feel weak, if you feel spiritually malnourished, Jesus wants you to come to his table. It's not anything to fast from. We wouldn't say that to anyone who's starving. If you feel unworthy to sit with Jesus at his table because you've recognized how weak you are, why would you hold yourself back from the very means that you need that are your strength? The same goes if you feel frustrated because you haven't borne the fruit that you feel like you, you ought to have, or that you, you don't think you've grown as firmly, or that you've matured as deeply as, you, as you'd like. The reality is that Jesus knows who you are. And he still invites you and wants you to come and sit down at his table so that he can sup with you. He wants to nourish you with good food. He wants to nourish you with his very life, with himself. He wants you to be strengthened and to know that he is good and that he is merciful and that he bears with the lowly. He doesn't want you to be, uh, to eat alone, but he wants to eat with his people. He doesn't just wanna sit at his table by himself. He wants to eat with you and he wants you to know who he is then when you look at his table. He wants you to know that in him is forgiveness and life and fellowship that is free for you through his work that's seen on the cross. So we see it's a fellowship table, but we also see it's a family table. It's a fellowship table. It's a family table. Tables are usually better when more are gathered, aren't there? We look forward to having plenty of people sitting around a large dinner table and all of those seats that we have around that table filled. The table is an expression of commonality and of communion with one another. Right? As we share food with each other, we engage, we talk, we have fellowship. It's a reminder of the commonality that we share and is the grounds then for our coming together. Even if we've been distant from one another, food brings us back as a gathered people. It unites us. Food, the table, breaks down barriers between us. And Jesus does the same for us at his table. The Lord's Supper is a community table for us. It's where his people come together and where they share fellowship with him, where they're united together in fellowship with one another because they have fellowship with the one Christ. Verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As we come to the table, we partake of Jesus and we feed from him. But it's not an individualistic moment. It's a place where individuals are then brought together here and they are united together as they are united in Christ. I eat, you eat. The person sitting next to you eats. And as each of us eats and drinks, we experience this uniting fellowship with Jesus. But as each of us experience this, then it means that also we are therefore all united together. Myself, you, the person sitting next to you, we are then bonded to Jesus. And in turn, we are bonded to each other with a reality that is as tight and that is as fixed as each one of you has then with Jesus by his spirit. We all have the same bread of life within us. We all have the same nourishment and the nutrients coursing through our veins. We all eat from the same loaf. We all have the same bread of life and that brings us together. The table of Christ pulls us from any tendencies that we might have then towards individualism and it reminds us that we are not alone in the life of faith. We may not realize it, but the water in which we swim is deeply individualistic. And it's difficult to not have that permeate who we are or to be affected by it. Many of us have our, see our lives as being, for, or we live our lives as fractured apart from one another. We do our own things. We see ourselves not as part of a group of, or a community, but first and foremost, we look at ourselves as individuals. And even many of the communities or the circles that we find ourselves in throughout the week are what? They're based upon our own preferences. We choose who we identify with. And some people are also the victims of this mentality. Those who are already alone and then it makes life so much more difficult when everyone else wants to live individual lives apart from community because it further serves them to isolate them or to alienate them when they're already alone. Being individual, Being individuals is part of who we are. But when we see ourselves primarily through the lens of individualism to the detriment of communal identity, then we suffer. At the Lord's table, though, the, the Lord's Supper calls God's people back to our place of commonality, to our common confession, to our union with Jesus. And we're reminded then, in a very real way, that when we come around the table, we are family. In a way, this is a family table. It's family dinner, as we call it in our house. We are adopted daughters and sons together in union with Jesus, our brother. And he sets out a family dinner for us around the table. It brings us out from seeing merely life as individuals and sets before us then again, the fact that we have bonds of unity that cannot be broken just like family, reminds the lonely that they aren't alone. Not just with Jesus, but that they have a family which goes beyond whatever earthly family they may or they may not have. Just the same, also, it reminds the individualistic that they have family. And perhaps they should start taking their family, their spiritual family obligations to one another a little more seriously and start living like that to look out for our spiritual family in Christ who might be residing on the margins. Just like the biological family, we don't choose our family in Christ. You just are family. We're not here because of our preferences. We're here because the Lord has brought us here. We're family. We've been brought in. The question is, if you are part of this family in Christ, question is whether or not you're actually going to recognize that. Part of the wondrous beauty of the body of Christ is that we are all different. That God chooses and brings in all sorts of people with all sorts of temperaments and personalities. Yet also, just as it is in life, wondrous beauty also brings endless friction. Precisely because God chooses and brings in all sorts of people. And some people that he brings in aren't are certainly the sort of people that we wouldn't initially have the inclination to to, to think about choosing to bring in. But this table, though, that we have here, when we partake of one body, when we partake of the one Christ, we, we are formed as one body in him, it reminds us of our familial bonds. It brings us together again, an unlike people, and it causes us to renounce our preferences. The church is God's people who are all brought together into his family by his gracious work. I didn't choose these people, but they didn't choose me though either. We all sit at the table on equal footing with equal status. And God forbid that any of us then would do anything to dismiss one another. There's no kitty table that someone's relegated to. There's no table off to the side for the latecomers. There's just simply one table because there's one Christ and there's one bread. The fellowship that we share with one another then at the table is because Jesus graciously invites us to it. He invites us to commune with him, but he also invites us to commune with others. And so as we come to the table then over and over every week and we begin to be formed by it, when we begin to understand it, that he makes us also into a people who will then in turn invite others to our own ordinary tables. The fellowship and the sharing that we have at his table then sets the stage for us to do so than the other six days of the week. Hospitality and invitation doesn't come natural for some of us. We need it to be modeled to us. Friends, we have that modeled to us every week. We are a people who are united together each week in joy. Do you ever think that we are perhaps the only people in Santa Rosa who are defined by the dinner table? As Jesus builds his kingdom through a table, then you too can also seek the good of his kingdom through your own tables. Kingdom work doesn't need to be complex. It can be as simple as sitting around your own dinner table building fellowship with your neighbors, knowing them, being known yourself, inviting them into your everyday life by sharing a cup of coffee or an ordinary meal because that's where relationship and trust is built. And God is able to use that then to bring others around your own, or around his table. But third though, it's an exclusive table. It's a, fam- it's a, it's a fellowship table. It's a family table. It's also an exclusive table. And this is where we begin to move into this this section about idolatry in here. Who you share fellowship with is important. Sitting at a table with someone builds relationship and fellowship and knowing. It's where allegiances and bonds are formed or where they're strengthened. Because when people come around a table, there is an intent. There is an intentionality in coming together. And depending then upon the nature of the relationship, joining another at a table for fellowship might signal betrayal or unfaithfulness. In the Greco-Roman context that the Corinthian church lived in 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 which Paul was writing, it was common for people, particularly families, to live under a patronage system, almost like clans. You had one person at the top of every clan or family or household and they took care of all of those who lived underneath them. Think of it kind of like the Godfather, but without all of the mob violence. I'm serious. It really is. Uh, the, the patron took care of those who were under him. And then you had an allegiance with him. But there were also, though, other patrons who lived in the city as well. And it would have been ex- unacceptable for someone to eat a meal with their patron, and then the next day to be seen eating with another patron. It was a sign of mixed allegiances. Because meals create bonds. In modern terms, we could think of it as like an employee caught having dinner with an executive at a rival company. Paul applies the same principle then to a believer's relationship with Jesus. It allows for no competing fellowships, and certainly not with anything that rivals him. And this is why Paul then addresses idolatry and participating in other tables. If you come to the table of the Lord, there is no room for you then to join in any other table that competes with him because there is the underlying principle of fellowship and sharing and exclusivity, sorry, and participation. If you come to his table, there's a certain exclusivity that he demands. He will not share your allegiances with anyone else. He will not share your allegiances with anything else because eating is participatory and it unites In verse 18, Paul explains that for Old Testament Israel, when they ate from the sacrifices that were given on the altar, it bound them together in a common fellowship or a participation of worship. To the the degree then that eating from the sacrifice from another altar, another altar that wasn't given to God, would have been joining in and participating with that other act of worship to a different God. It would have been to share with others in their idolatry because there is a real participation which is shared at a table, especially a table that involves worship. Again, it's tantamount to going out to dinner with a business rival. Then Paul applies that to the Corinthian context. Willingly and knowingly joining in the sacrificial tables of other false deities is to participate with a rival of Christ. You cannot say Jesus is Lord and then participate with the table of a competing Lord. It's idolatry. You can't even hold them in both hands. And so that when Paul refers to their tables as those of demons, he's getting at something very important. He's not saying that the the idols and the, the deities that they represent are real. Rather, idols represent a reality which is opposed to the true God. They are in a very real way demonic because of their opposition to God. If, if the Lord's table is one of fellowship, then the pagan sacrificial tables were a fellowship then with the enemy. Or to boil it down for us here, there is no neutrality in our participations. None of our participations are neutral. If you are a partaker of the Lord's table, then he calls you then to examine yourself to see what are the ways that I might be joining in fellowship with the opposition. Again, for most of us, that's not gonna happen by bowing down to an idol of metal or stone. But what are the breaks of allegiance that we have with Jesus? What are the subtle idols that we are willing to indulge ourselves in that sit in rival participation with Christ? Often they're the patterns which call us to follow them along with Jesus. Trying to participate in both. Can take the form in cultivating our hearts in alignment with virtues that are not those of Christ. Or of trying to hold both him and the world together in tension. Trying to accommodate the values of both Jesus and the world, Jesus and culture. We ought to see the the, the demonic reality behind them. Not in some weird, fantastical way that our minds might be drawn to, but realizing though, rather, that these are not the ways of our Lord and they are in opposition to his righteousness. And so we have then the call to flee from idolatry because it's serious business. The Lord is not willing to share himself with others. He won't stand by passively. He is jealous for his glory. If you claim a seat at his table, then it's not fitting to be getting up and going to the tables of his rivals. Jesus shares fellowship with those at his table. If we think it's insulting to our hosts when someone sits at the dinner table and fiddles on their phone the whole time, why would we think anything different about him? He demands our attention. Before then, we've seen how it's a, a fellowship table. A family table. It's an exclusive table, but it's also an everlasting table. It's an everlasting table. Because the table that Jesus sets out for us is of his everlasting faithfulness to his covenant. The common pattern that we see in the New Testament is the bread mentioned before the cup. But here, if you'll note in verse 16, it makes mention of the cup before the bread. Because blood, as portrayed in the cup, the blood of Jesus, blood is an important part of sealing promises and covenants throughout the Bible. It added a certain depth or a gravitas to the covenant that was pledged. It's why Jesus refers to to the cup as the blood of the covenant in the Last Supper. His blood is a seal of God's covenant faithfulness to his people that he will always be our God and not only are we eternally his people according to that promise, but he will make us also very, in the very image and likeness of his son. So that the cup mentioned then before the bread highlights this special covenant faithfulness aspect of his table. That whenever we come to his table, Jesus is giving us a sign of his blood poured out to seal his covenant for eternity. It's his everlasting covenant faithfulness to all his people throughout all generations and to each one of his people throughout their entire lives even despite their own unfaithfulness. And that applies even to idolaters and those who have found themselves sitting at strange tables. If you've broken allegiance with Jesus, if you followed after idolatry, the story isn't over. If you are tired from fleeing away from idols, he wants you to see that his covenant faithfulness still remains. Because the blood of his cross, the blood of the covenant which he gives to you at his table is more than adequate to wash away all of your sins, even for falling in line with the enemy. Every week as we come back to the table, as he sets out his bread and wine, signs of his body and blood, It's an invitation to, again, come back and receive life from him. To come back in humility and in repentance because we understand the spiritual reality of the alignments that we've taken throughout the week. And they haven't been neutral. The friend Jesus sets his table out for sinners and turncoats and his invitation to come back again and again doesn't close. He promises also to be with you no matter what your circumstances are. His covenant faithfulness, his everlasting covenant faithfulness will will remain upon you for eternity no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Whether whatever disease you find is wrecking your body, whatever other life circumstance comes and, and plagues you, whatever difficulty you are in, The blood of Jesus, his covenant promise given to you reminds you that he will never leave you or forsake you. Friends, we need him every moment of our lives. Praise him that he is always faithful to his promises to never turn us away when we come in faith. As we had in our our assurance of, of grace from John 6, 37, after explaining that he is the bread of life, that he also gives us this promise which is sealed by his blood. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He wants you and I to come back to his table and to share fellowship with him. And to look forward to the day then when our time with him at his table won't just be for this moment here on a Sunday morning, but it will be everlasting in the great feasting halls of the eternal king. We prepare ourselves to come to this table then, Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to set out a table for us every week. Spirit, we are grateful for your presence with us in these times to unite us to Jesus. Jesus, we do thank you that the table that you have is a table of fellowship that you give to us, that you invite us to come, though we are such unworthy people, it is only by your worth, your worthiness that we can even come to this table. And so we do so now with humility. We come with love. We are grateful that as a table also for family, that we have been brought into your family. And we, I pray that as we, we come around and sit around this table, as we look at each other then as well, that we would know that we are family in the deepest sense possible, and that we would live more and more like family, that we would invite others into this family also as you have invited us. Father, we also, as we are reminded again that it's an exclusive table, that you would continue to turn our eyes to you so that we would would turn our eyes away from the rival tables. And come back always knowing that this table is a sign of your everlasting covenant promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen.